It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. In part two of our series on the West Memphis Three, we continue our look at the ongoing police investigation of the three murdered boys. We'll discuss the satanic craze that was rampant through the police force and how this was used to identify suspects. We'll then learn the stories of Jesse Miskelly, Jason Baldwin, and Damian Eccles, and talk about the questionable and deceitful tactics police used to obtain evidence and arrest these three young men. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought the satanic panic was something out of the Salem witch trials in the 1600s, stick around. It was very much alive in 1990s Arkansas. This is Necronomapod. Teenagers probably have trouble ever imagining um, anything but immortality for themselves. They seem to believe that they're indestructible. I'm always the same way. Um, I guess all teenagers are. They believe that, I guess, nothing could ever happen to them. But when you wake up one morning and realize that you're on death row, and you're waiting there day after day for them to set you an execution date, it's a pretty hard reality check. Ian, I got some trivia for you. All right. What professional wrestler, former two-time WWE champion, is from West Memphis, Arkansas? Two-time champ. Two-time champ. Why? Because is there someone in your mind who was a one-time champ? No, no, I was just trying to think of He's like, well, he was a one-time champ, and he was a three-time champ, but I can't think of a two-time champ. Two-time champion. I got nothing. Psycho Sid. Uh, really? Mm-hmm. I want to uh, give a shout-out to our uh, friend of the show, Boar, uh, independent wrestler. Uh, who is uh, a fan of the show, who we communicate with a lot on the social medias. But he reminded me that uh, Sid is from West Memphis, Arkansas, and we didn't mention it in part one. And so I made a note to mention it in part two. But yeah. 
It's really a big gap in the outline, if you asked me last week. I, don't <laughs> I know. was wondering why the story wasn't clicking for me. Like, I was just like, I don't know. This is just whatever. Like, it's just a sad story. Kids were murdered. Sid was the missing link. Sure. So. Is that the guy that slaps his gum, right? No. That's, oh, that's Mr. Mr. Perfect. Perfect. Sorry. God sorry. damn it, Dave. Sid kind of lo- looks like Mr. Perfect, though. Right? I mean, he's got curly blonde hair. Yeah. I mean, he's six foot nine. I don't think Mr. Perfect right. Kurt Hennig is that big. My fault, sorry. Son of a bitch. Have you learned nothing on this show? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> is this how frustrated you guys get with me with trivia when I don't know anything <laughs> on the bonus shows? <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that based off the champ. I, I wouldn't have thought Sid was only champ twice. But Yeah, only twice. Hmm. I, I knew he was from Arkansas. I did not realize it was actually West Memphis, but... Thanks to the boar. He cleared it up. The question is, did he murder these three kids on a weekend trip home in 1993? He's too busy stabbing Arn Anderson (laughs) with scissors in a hotel. That's a true Playing story. Playing softball, right? Was, wasn't that what he did when he didn't feel like wrestling? He would just say he was sick and go play softball and shit. So Sid was legitimately a, a huge softball player, avid player of softball. And, and they said that, you know, mysteriously in the spring and summer, he would come down with these injuries, you know, and then, and then come back in the fall after softball season. So can you imagine like you're pitching and you see this fucking six foot nine jacked up right. juice dude come to the plate? Like, how is he not hitting a home run? <laughs> in softball, all they do is hit bombs. That's it. Like, it's just, you might as well fucking forfeit. And if you hit, if you, if you just, uh, you know, hit him with the ball or tag him out, he's going to fucking power bomb your ass. I'm not trying to get fucking power bound on home plate. Who not, wants that? Not even a little bit. No, he'll give you the big boot, knock you out cold. <laughs> like, he's, he's rushing home from third. The catcher's got the ball. Sid just lifts up his big boot, plow the mask goes flying off the catcher, laid out cold. Sid just stands up. Who's the man? Mike Mike is 100% more excited to talk about Sid than this actual story tonight. So, Boar, thanks a lot, pal. Thanks a lot. (laughs) I'm a little excited about it. I mean, I don't want to talk about three kids getting, you know, brutally murdered. That's not fun. I can talk about power uh, bombs all day. What's the Instagram, the wrestle botch? What's the Sid thing that they do? Uh, like Mike Sid, like Mike, Sid? Mike slips, like Mike slips with Sid or Sid. Yeah, but they have like a specific I know. day dedicated to him. <laughs> Sundays, isn't it? Isn't it <laughs> Sid Sundays or something like that? Yeah, they, they do Supercell Sundays and then Sid Sundays. <laughs> they post twice on Sunday. He's he, he was awesome. He had a lot of charisma, but he, he slipped up on the microphone quite a bit. And it was <laughs> <Yeah>. pretty funny. <laughs> Wrestle Botch, if you're a somewhat wrestling fan out there follow wrestle botch on instagram and it's just you know the comedy side of wrestling where people like fucking up moves or messing up uh um you know promos and saying weird shit uh the best is where they have like sexual innuendo ones (laughs) like i'm gonna take your ass and i'm gonna take it like it's never been taken before (laughs) and it's just like oh that didn't that didn't go well did you see that one the other day where they were in like a Seven Eleven or something? No, and they set oh, up yeah. a table off of the, or like right on. He he threw him off of the counter. <laughs> and then there's also stupid jackasses doing stuff like that, the backyard stuff. Yeah, who give wrestling fans like me a bad name? You know, I think you give yourself a bad name. Nope, I didn't do that jackass <laughs> shit. I'm not getting power bombed through a flaming table by an untrained uh, am- amateur. If I'm getting power bombed through a flaming table, it's by a trained professional, like Psycho Sid. <laughs> Um, we should also note, I think last week, Dave, you mentioned that you're in your uh, studio here. You got a kegerator. Uh, yeah, it's quite delightful. We had to keep taking breaks to fill up. We made a little enhancement for this week. 
What do we got? Mike now has a cord long enough to allow him to move with his headphones <laughs> over and refill the kegerator during the show. So no uh, no lapses going on tonight. No pauses. Because we are that much of alcoholics that not a single second of this show can go by with, an, with a dry cup. And now it won't have to. So if... Uh, you know, for all the Mike haters out there, I'm going to be going quiet a lot as I go to fill up Dave and I's pint glasses. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be me across the room. I'll still be listening in, but I'll be filling up. You might hear me shout or something. I don't know. We'll see. Speaking of Mike haters, I think we have a special guest that wants to say a few words before we get started tonight. Uh-oh. Uh, Mike, I just I saw in the <laughs> socials that you uh, said West Memphis was an AK. I just want to tell you that's Alaska, you dumb motherfuckers, not Arkansas. <laughs> Arkansas is AR. AR, not AK. Thank you, Mr. President. I didn't know you were a hater of mine, but it's good to know. Uh, he just wanted to pop in and he's know, going back to his cubby hole. Raise that issue. Yeah. He'll be back and we cover another issue that involves him. Uh, it was corrected. It was a typo. I didn't proofread. Typing fast. I saw some fans were roasting you, so I thought I'd. Really? I didn't see that. I saw one person on correct bit. us, unless they were on. Might be on Facebook. Lest they make an error, a typo themselves one yeah. day. It's true. Also, who the fuck ever knows anything about Arkansas? It's like the state I know the least about. <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even make the connection that Sid was from West Memphis. And if I'm not making a wrestling connection, clearly you're low on my list. <laughs> Just saying. The only other thing I had to open up here is uh at one point when we were announcing the uh the changes to Patreon with, you know, special plug Bible Babble coming soon to the ten dollar tier. Recording it this weekend. Uh oh. I hope it's not a complete bomb, which is possible. Yeah, it probably will be, but that's all right. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we had one person message us and say that they would pay extra money just to hear me say pontificate in a deep low voice. I'm pretty sure they meant Ian. And got the names mixed up because nobody has ever requested to hear me, my voice. But alas, you requested it. <clears throat> Pontificate. 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 There you go. So, you know, send all checks to cool down media. There's some puddles in her house. There's some puddles in her house. So, well, if that's what they want, that's what they got. <laughs> All right, that's enough having fun. Let's get people angry now. Ian, we are on part two. Where did we leave off? Where we left off on part one, lead detective Gary Gitchell had been frustrated that he had not gotten an autopsy report from the medical examiner still at 20 days after the boys were found murdered. After sending a letter to medical examiner Frank, Dr. Frank Peretti for answers, Gitchell got what he was asking for. What's a normal turnaround, you think? No more than uh, two like, days, right? Yeah, probably like two days. Yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> what the fuck's this guy doing? It's probably the first fucking autopsy he ever did, right? Yeah, in part three, <laughs> in part three, we have there's some interesting details about Dr. Peretti. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure stuff like this doesn't happen every day in these small towns. Right. So it's not something they're really prepared for. And he's doing three of them. And three of them. Yeah, exactly. He's probably freaking the fuck out. He doesn't know what to do. <laughs> he's like, I'm not even trained for this. They just gave me the job. <laughs> I don't even have a GED. I am in Arkansas. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Aside from the visible trauma we talked about in part one that was visible on the boys when their bodies were found, it was ruled that Michael Moore and Stevie Branch had died from drowning. 
so they were either unconscious when they were put in or they were anchored down at the bottom still alive mm. christopher byers who appeared to be castrated died from his injuries before being put in the water and according to dr peretti that castration would have been done with a serrated knife and <sighs> he probably would have bled out from that injury oh, can you imagine jesus no that sounds fucking awful it's a really weird thing too it's a very specific thing to do to a young man it's only one right? of the, only one of the three yeah things very targeted interesting yeah it it really does seem targeted yeah. like where they i'm just thinking out loud here because i don't know what the fuck happens next as we was well established last episode you know were they was this person just going after christopher byers and the other two happen to be around so now you just have to take care of them sure we also left off on Detective Don Bray reaching out to his friend and juvenile officer Jerry Driver for information on potential suspects because the police had nothing. It's worth noting that not all of the police in West Memphis were on board with the whole satanic cult theory at the time. Jerry Driver had a list of eight kids he felt that were into satanic worship, and we said that it included Jesse Kelly Jr., Jason Baldwin, and Damian Eccles. It also included Damien's girlfriend at the time, Dominique Tier. Um, I don't know about present day, but Dominique didn't have any trouble with the law at the time. The only reason she was on driver's list was because she was Damien's girlfriend. Guilt by association, if you will. Yeah, there's a lot of that in this case. Mm -hmm. Jerry Driver was a textbook example of someone that had bought 100% into the satanic panic that was going on in the country at the time. There was a large number of local police forces who organized into networks that focused on cult crimes, some of who claimed themselves to be experts and were paid to speak at conferences throughout the United States. And I think when we get to part three, Ian, we're going to hear about one in particular, right, during the, during, uh, during the trial. Yeah, yeah, who yeah, is he's just a, ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. <laughs> Quote unquote expert. Yeah, right. Religious revivalists also took advantage of the rumors and preached about the dangers of Satanism to kids and presented themselves at paid meetings as secular experts. At the height of the panic, the highly emotional accusations and circumstances of satanic ritual abuse allegations made it difficult to investigate the claims, with the accused being assumed as guilty and skeptics becoming co-accused during trials, and trials moving forward based solely off the testimony of very young children without corroborating evidence. Sounds like some other kind of uh, trial that we talked about recently the salem witch trials <laughs> yeah. we're like no i don't i don't think that that really happened oh well, you must be a witch too motherfuckers <laughs> well if you were a witch you would say that That's this right. isn't true <laughs> but if you admitted to it then clearly you are a witch very familiar tone I either way you will die <laughs> <laughs> well i know you and i dave at least in private had talked about it, like wanting to do an episode on the satanic panic because there's, Oh, thanks for including me guys. A ton of trials. Awesome. <laughs> Glad I got a say in that matter. I think you were in church when we were having a discussion. Yeah, Probably. You yeah. were. I was doing, I was doing the rosary, <laughs> but like all those kids that were saying crazy shit at, and got people thrown in jail yes. for, for stuff. You're like, oh, yeah, my daycare. I, I, I have a regressive memory. My daycare teacher raped me when I was three. Oh, well, that must be true then. You're going to prison. Like crazy stuff. All these memories that came out, you know, right? Am I, th am I remembering this right? 
Yeah, and they the were hypnosis. all hypnosis. Like, it came out 15 years later, and the the, the, the psychiatrist talked him in all these faked memories and whatnot. Yeah, and the police were kind of basically like yes, anding these kids through mm-hmm. confessions against yeah, people. Yeah. To be clear, I, I was doing rosary in the back pew. That was her name. <laughs> doing her. her husband wanted me to. Cucks across America. You were rubbing her beads, her anal beads. Yeah. She's going through each one. She was calling me father. Hail Mary, full of Mike. <laughs> well, that was after Rose Rosary. <laughs> There'll be more of this on Dave's Bible Babble <laughs> coming to the $10 tier of Patreon. <laughs> but I don't know if we ever talked about this before, but do you remember the the Tom Hanks Dungeons and Dragon yeah, yeah. movie from the 80s? <laughs> of course I don't. <laughs> Wait, I just figure you love Tom Hanks. I so do. Much it's, that maybe you've seen it. I'm sure I would enjoy the movie because he's the most likable human being of all time. But I, I think not. it was one of his first movies, whether it was an after school movie or a movie of the week or something where. You know, him and his friends got into Dungeons and Dragons, and by the end of the movie, he was trapped in his mind inside a Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> world, and he could not escape. It was to show the, the the dangers of playing around with demonic things like Dungeons and Dragons, and it's all back in the same time with all this nonsense. These people were crazy. Well, that would have had to been a lot earlier than this, though. I mean, his the first mid-80s, movie, the mid eighties, early eighties, and then this we're talking early nineties. Yeah, so probably but, ten years before that. Yeah. Check it out, though. It's uh, it's wild. I don't think I want to see that. Trapped in his D&D <laughs> land, in, in his mind. I'll just go watch the burbs again. <laughs> well, there you go. The FBI did a study in 1991 on this whole phenomena, and they weren't able to find a single real case of murder committed due to Satanism. Oh, that's Nothing. weird. Nothing. Weird. Mm. They did attribute it, a lot of it, too, and it's interesting, to Richard Ramirez, Remember when he went to trial and stuff, he would show his pentagram mm-hmm. on his hand, his hand yeah. and stuff. He scared the fuck out of law enforcement and people across the whole country. And they attribute a lot of the phenomena to him of law enforcement. That's being interesting. Of it. Huh. Thanks a lot, Rich Ramirez. <laughs> Have, has <laughs> anyone watched Intruder? Yeah. Has anyone watched the new Netflix series on him yet? He just came out yesterday. We've had a ton of listeners that have said they've watched it or yeah. have or at least excited about it. Speaking because of movies, into, though, his, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say he because he went into all of his shit where he claimed to be possessed and he claimed to have been doing it for, you know, satanic mm-hmm. reasons and stuff. Meanwhile, he was just a fucking asshole. Yeah. And so small With, town cops see that and they're like, oh, fuck. That, yeah. Gotta, there you go. Right there. Protect our town. That's right. With his fucking nasty ass teeth. But he was an ugly motherfucker, wasn't he? Until he got his fake teeth. Ooh. Right. In prison, right? He got a whole new. But set then of girls dancers. started to like him. Like he would have been. I think he was a good-looking guy. Is the consensus once he got those teeth? I wouldn't have fucked him, but that's just me. That's just you. Though. <laughs> it's just me. You know, another good movie back then. Not back then, but kind of based around Ramirez. I think it's called The First Power. Have you guys ever seen that? No. Probably before your time too. You're gonna ask me if I've seen that movie? Then <laughs> come on. <laughs> With Lou Diamond Phillips, like back in the oh, early, like early nineties. No, it's really good. What's it called? The first power, man, that's a good movie. All right, there's your movie Check of the week, out. folks. Dave's movie of the week. We need to make that a thing. That's Dave's good. movie of the week, the first power, starring Lou Diamond Phillips. All kinds of satanic panic in there. It's good stuff. So Jerry Driver wasn't someone who had been involved in law enforcement as like a lifelong career. He was a retired airline pilot who became a juvenile officer in his fifties. 
Driver was so convinced that West Memphis was full of satanic worship that he and fellow juvenile officer Steve Jones would drive around at night on full moons looking to break up any satanic rituals going on. <laughs> Based on what evidence? <laughs> Just imagine these guys out here. Oh, man. Do you ever wow. see the South Park where they do the ghost adventures thing and the guy's like all scared and starts pissing his pants and he's like, oh, it's warm. I can feel it. And it's like, <laughs> like it's a ghost touching him. <laughs> That's what I thought of with these two driving around at night. <laughs> like with two dozen donuts in, in the in the car between them in right. the front seat. <laughs> I just picture them all scared, all fired up, like they're going to go out there and bust up some satanic <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. was 17 years old at the time of the murders, and he had dropped out of high school. He was from a very poor family and lived in a trailer park close to Damien and Jason. Jesse wasn't really friends with Jason or Damien. He said Jason was a friend enough just to say hi to him and thought he was a, thought he was a good kid, but never really hung out with him. And he thought Damien was kind of weird, and he has been on record saying that he was scared of Damien at the time. At the time of the murders, Jesse was doing work in roofing, loved NASCAR, and had dreams of being a professional wrestler. He's Mike's spirit animal. I thought, <laughs> I thought you were going to say dreams of being with Britney Spears, and I was like, this guy's <laughs> is my best friend. Just met my best friend. <laughs> it's like a buddy comedy, you and you and Jesse. Yeah. Just well, hang, but, but in buddy comedies, though, like, aren't they like they're different kind of a little bit, right? Like we're too similar. Or like the odd couple, but you'd be like the same couple. Yeah. And we would get it. We would just instantly get along. There'd be no conflicts. We would just watch NASCAR and wrestling and that'd be it. And I'm assuming he liked Britney Spears. Well, he would have or, or would in the future like Britney Spears. This was before she made it big. So right on the cusp, right? Yeah. Well, five years, yeah. six years. Sure. This will become a key part of the story later on. But Jesse had a reported IQ of 72 and never made it past the stage of a third grader. People that think that they're guilty will push back at this and say that, no, he has an IQ. It's, I've seen it either 80 or 88. And they'll say that it's not really, you know, he's not as, I guess, mentally diminished as hmm. lawyers made him out to be. But the general consensus is that his IQ is in the 70s and that he's never made it past the stage of a third grader. His father and his former stepmother described him as a good kid, but he was, quote, slow-minded. His former stepmother recalled that the family knew Jesse had issues, and he had extreme separation anxiety from his stepmother when he was a child. Like we said, Jesse was a big NASCAR fan, and he decided he was going to build a racetrack. For this racetrack he was building, he needed flags, so he stole some flags from the high school marching band, he ended up getting caught, and this got him into the juvenile system in dealing with Jerry Driver. Jesse made it to Jerry Driver's satanic worship list because Jesse had, quote, spiked hair and stuff. Oh, well, that explains it. true. Right? Whenever I see anyone with spiked hair, I'd stay away from them. <laughs> devil devil. worshiper. Of course. Sure. I don't need that. Can I just say Jerry Driver is like a, a good porn name, I think? Jerry Driver. <laughs> <laughs> He'll put the pay... The <laughs> put the panic in your satanic pooper. <laughs> Jerry Driver. I think you just wrote your first porno. <laughs> Jason Baldwin was 16 years old at the time of the murders. He was described as quiet, but a good student in school and got good grades. 
Jason was also from a very poor family. He had gotten himself in trouble from petty theft and vandalism, specifically breaking the windows out of some cars. And that's obviously going to get you in trouble if you're caught. But Jason made drivers satanic list because he had long hair, wore t-shirts from bands like Metallica and U2. And most of all, he was best friends with Damien Eccles. When I think of Satan, I think of U2, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> That was a specific charge against him. <laughs> very one of strange. his U2 shirts. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm pretty confident Bono does run some cult somewhere. <laughs> but I don't think it's satanic in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, like what What list do you get on if you have a deicide shirt on? I mean, if U2 Dave, gets you on this shirt. You don't have that shirt on because you're wearing fucking an orange jumpsuit. <laughs> they fucking took burn that, you at the stake. Yeah, they took that shirt from you. Right. Don't even think about it, mister. You too, shirt. And don't even get us started on that Knights and Satan service. Because <laughs> they're the worst. I mean, and, and that's not even a joke. And when we talk about the trials next week, they count the amount of black t-shirts Jason Baldwin owned. And they talk about the bands on them. Like, that has anything to do with murdering it's these three boys. Absolutely outrageous. Outrageous. Imagine what they would do if they found out how into asking Alexandria Ian was. <laughs> He'd be fucking a goner. Yeah. Just saying. I mean, are you shot on sight with your cannibal uh, cannibal corpse shirt on? I mean, no questions asked. You two think it's open fire. Me. It's open fire. <laughs> you too. You better be listening to the Carpenters and the Carpenters only. <laughs> Maybe some Sonny and Cher, but even some of that gets a little, a little risque, a little there. devilish. Yeah. 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 Mm. And, you know, I wish I would have set this up in the outline earlier on, but, you know, we, we said both, both of these, Jesse and Jason lived in trailer parks and, and Damien, we're going to get to, he lives in the same one as well. Like when we're talking poverty in this area, the county that the three of them lived in is still to this day, one of the 10 most uh, impoverished counties in the whole United States of America. This is a very, very impoverished area in the type of area where the system like this will just chew people up and spit them out. Yeah. In my opinion. And if you do end up watching that documentary, you get a really good, you know, visual feel for that, that kind of poverty just, and not, not to bang on trailer parks or anything like that. Cause I've been in, you know, absolutely beautiful trailers, but yeah, there's some extreme poverty going on here. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I say it later in the outline or not, but you know, Damien, lived the trailer that he lived in was a two bedroom trailer with five people living in it. Yeah. You know, and he moved, that was moving up for him, for him. The place he was living before was just like a dirt floor shed kind mm. of thing. Wow. Damien Eccles was 18 at the time of the murders and he would become the focus on this whole investigation. He was also the only one of the three that would have anything considered serious on his record. Damien was the only one out of them that you would consider like a true goth kid. He wore all black all the time, which in part was because a girl told him that he looked cute in black. Um, and in true goth kid fashion, he was a huge smart ass to any authority figures. Fellow students in school would call him a Satan worshiper and he would reply with dumb shit like that. He drank blood and stuff to freak them out. And in high school, he got into reading about Aleister Crowley, Wicca, and got a homemade tattoo of the feminine symbol. So this kid stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah, I mean, he's not in New York City. He's in 
rural Arkansas, right? Yeah. Is it pretty rural? It's pretty rural, right? Like I said, it's close to... Dave, Arkansas is rural. <laughs> I know, but it's not too far. Arkansas is the rural part of the United States. But it's it's really just across the river from Memphis, right? It's not too far out of the city. Yeah. I I'd have to ask Psycho said. I don't know. <laughs> Getting into the troubles that Damien got into, when he was 17, he and his girlfriend broke up. And afterwards, he it's claimed that he was harassing her and her new boyfriend. He was saying stuff that he was going to kill the guy, kill her, and burn down her house. That, that stuff's kind of a he said, she said thing. But he did end up getting into the fight with the guy. But that's as far as anything went. I mean, nothing extraordinary for a broken-hearted teenager. Yeah, I mean, Mike, I'm sure I said some really dumb shit. Yeah, right. 16, 17 years old. Mike would comment, but he's over at the keg right now filling up a glass. <laughs> I'm getting <foam>. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't know how to pour a pint properly, apparently. <laughs> he's foaming up over there. Oh, yours. Come on. <laughs> I did well. By the way, kayfabe, motherfucker. Goddamn. <laughs> Nobody would have even known I was gone. I was over there for the last five minutes of that conversation. I came back just to get my take on rural Arkansas. <laughs> About a month later after this, Damien and his girlfriend decided that they were going to run away together. And if they got caught, they would kill themselves like a stupid teenager suicide pack thing. Romeo and Juliet, if you will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Neither of them could drive, so when it started raining, the two broke into an abandoned trailer. The girl's mother called the police, and they were found in this trailer making out. Now, they were both charged with burglary and sexual misconduct, with hers getting dropped, her charges getting dropped, but Damien sticking, which seems pretty... Sexual misconduct seems pretty fucking... It's outrageous. Was his girlfriend five years old? What is the sexual misconduct here? No, they were both 16, 17 at the time, 15. Ridiculous. And from what I read, it was a very visibly abandoned trailer. Like no one had fucking lived there in years. So what are you going to charge burglary with? Yeah. For that. Seems a little ridiculous. Love to overcharge people, don't they? Love it. After Damien was arrested, this is when Jerry Driver entered his life. After Damien was arrested, the parents of his girlfriend told Driver that Damien had tried to get her into, quote, black magic. So Driver searched Damien's trailer. Not sure if he had a search warrant. Or <laughs> yeah, I'm like, her, what, what, do you, what does that mean? Or if her, his parents just let him in <sighs> or how that went. But drive, this guy Driver a big hard on for his satanic stuff. Mm-hmm. So he was going to he searched Damien's trailer. Driver found a notebook that had quote the book of shadows written on it with upside down crosses and a pentagram oh my (gasps) god don't say it jerry (laughs) this notebook had a whole bunch of like moody goth kid poetry in it um he also found books by alistair crowley and anton levey and this was all the proof that jerry driver needed to say that there was satanic activity going on with damien Mr. Crowley, <laughs> bum, bum, bum. what went on in your head? I'm pretty sure the rest of that notebook went on to become the lyrics for Dashboard Confessional songs, right? <laughs> it probably could have. <laughs> Anton LaVey, uh, the Satanic Bible guy, if people didn't, people were wondering. Mr. Crowley's a good song, too. That's a good tune. Like, Aleister Crowley stuff is quite interesting. 
All that Thelema. Is that what it is, Ian? We've, we've, been trying to do a, we've been trying to do a show on him for, for months. Ian keeps <laughs> pushing it off. Yeah. We've had he him tentatively last year. We've had him tentatively penciled in like four times and he keeps getting bumped. <laughs> yeah, Alistair Crowley is really interesting. Mm-hmm. All it tells me is he's a bright, inquisitive kid who wants to read about Alistair Crowley. Like the dumb, dumb yeah. kids aren't reading about Alistair Crowley. Yeah, you know, heaven forbid this guy show an interest in something. And have a hobby and yeah. just want to read about something. Hey, newsflash, the occult shit's interesting and it's fun to read about. So fuck off, Jerry Driver, you dick. <laughs> I, I'm currently doing my presidential biography reading. I'll tell you one thing I don't want to be, the president of the United States. No? No, no interest. Hmm. But I want to read about it. Just saying. It's interesting. Doesn't mean I want to do that that line of work. I don't want to be a politician. What am I reading? What's that? What's the name of that book over there? Dave, there's fucking 35 <laughs> books on the shelf. You, oh, oh, that one. It's, it's Howard no, Stern. It's called the the Big Payback. It's a just the the complete history of hip hop. It's really interesting. Yeah, I'm, I think we talked about this. I'm loving it. Yeah, a lot of stuff back in the old uh, origination days of hip hop. I had no idea about any of. This. Yeah, it's really but, good. But that I means you want. That means it. you want to be a rapper, right? Well, I got some skills. Well. <laughs> Coming to the $35 Patreon tier. <laughs> Dave dropped some beats. <laughs> really good book, though. The big... What's it called? I'm sorry. The Big Payback. Good Lord, man. I really good. Really entertaining so far. That was a good interlude. Sorry about that. Let's get back to Ian now. <laughs> well, we were proving points. Just because we're reading these books doesn't mean, you know, that we're that or want to be that. Just interest. It's a hobby. Well, Jerry Driver and Steve Jones believe so hard that Damien was a witch or something to that effect that while he was locked up in juvenile detention, they sat him down and tried to get him to, quote, do magic, to which I'm I'm sure that Damien just looked at them like they were assholes. Like, what the <laughs> fuck you mean you want me to do magic? Hey, you do magic. <laughs> Show us some magic. Yeah, like do some rituals. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Do some rituals. Do it now. Cast a spell, bro. Yeah. <laughs> they really do. They almost come off like meatheads. Absolutely. Well, until... In, to this day, Jerry Driver sticks by all this bullshit as being 100% truth. Of course he does. So this resulted in Damien running his mouth. And we're going to see through this story and then into the trials next week. He has a big case of needing to shut the fuck up sometimes <laughs> in life. <laughs> but <laughs> It does not appear at this point that he is taking any of this seriously. And when you're being, no. you know, investigated no. for murder, whether you did it or not, you should probably take that at least seriously. You're not doing yourself any favors here, Pally. He fully admits that in his in one of the books that he's written that he knows, you know, now looking back on things that he did himself no favors. Wow. Spoiler alert. He's still alive, I guess, <laughs> writing books. For all I know, he got executed because of this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I did know that much. Well, you know what? He's also a dumb kid, too. And kids are allowed to be dumb kids without, you know, I don't disagree. And he doesn't have anyone there to, to you know, slap him straight and say, hey, motherfucker. Right. You know, exactly. But. 18 years old still, you're being investigated for brutal murders. Come on. I guess, but you, you also grow up being told in this country that, you know, justice is blind and you're not going to get convicted of a crime that you didn't commit. So when they come to you with nonsense, you view it as a joke. And you're like, yeah. Based on where these guys are, are grown, talking about. Grown, grown up, though, I don't think they were taught anything. I mean, it just seems like they were failed well, in so many ways. Sure. But yeah, I mean, I'm not blaming him by any means, but. You know, he just didn't do himself any favors no, with this, not at uh, all. With this not attitude. At all. So Damien started telling people in juvenile detention 
that he was going to have a baby with his girlfriend so they could sacrifice it to Satan. <laughs> See, like, come on, man. Well, yeah, dude, it's fun to fuck with people. And that's really funny. I like that. But, dude, this is like, oh. And Jerry Driver's like, what, what, what? <laughs> yep. At he this took point, that dead fucking serious. At this point, I could be his attorney because I could at least know to say here, hey, man. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Don't say that. <laughs> He's roasting Jerry, and Jerry's no. taking the whole thing as uh, literal. By the way, that'll be a thousand bucks. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because attorneys steal from you. Oh, sure. So, so with this information, Jerry Driver personally drove Damien to a psychiatric hospital in Little Rock. And there, Damien was diagnosed as being depressed, which... I mean, it would make sense. He's stuck in juvenile detention with this fucking idiot trying to prove that he's a witch. He can't talk to his girlfriend. He's from an extremely poor family. You know? I wasn't like, you know, just you're you grew up impoverished. Like, that's enough to be depressed. Oh, you yeah. know, you just you're living. You didn't have a great upbringing. And Jerry's like, come on, Damien, cast a spell. Move that book <laughs> across the room. Turn me into a lizard. Come on, boy. Do some magic. <laughs> And his his home life was not, uh, it wasn't just like, just poverty was wrong with it. There was a lot of uh, his mother's boyfriends in and out and abusive situations stuff. He did not have a good upbringing. So, yeah, he's going to be depressed. After Damien was released, he and his mother moved out of Arkansas to Aloha, Oregon to live with his biological father. But this didn't stop Jerry Driver. Driver contacted the authorities in Oregon to warn them about Damien sending the following memo. What? This guy's obsessed. <laughs> yeah. Do we think Jerry a. Driver masturbated to this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had to yeah. have some kind of release. A actually, yes, I believe that now yeah. that you mention it. Like looking at pictures of Bono and U2. <laughs> <laughs> like he, he hate jerked off. Is that a thing? Like I know there's hate fucking. Is there hate jerking off? Yeah, probably. I'm going to get you, Satan. <laughs> oh, oh, good lord! I see you, Bono. I'm going to throw up. <laughs> So he sent this memo. Ian's like, oh, where the fuck? How do I get back to this? Like, you guys have ruined this. <laughs> Talking about Jerry Driver's kinks. Cannibal Jerking corpse. I'm about to come now. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> or however that goes. I mean, I don't know. I don't practice that or anything. You make my peepee -pee feel weird, Metallica. I don't like it. <laughs> You're bad. <laughs> So a Damien and several other other. This is this is again because we interrupted you so much. This is what Jerry Dr Driver sent to the Aloha, Oregon Police Department. A Damien and several others of his associates are involved in a satanic cult. B Damien and his girlfriend were both placed in a psychiatric hospital. C Damien threatened to kill his girlfriend's parents. D Damien claims he's a witch. E, Damien and his girlfriend were planning to have a child so they could offer it as a sacrifice to Satan. <laughs> F, the authorities in Arkansas suspect that Damien's parents are involved in the satanic belief system. This guy's out of control, this fucking Jerry Driver, man. Well, yeah. The authorities in Oregon did not take this serious at all. 
and they just Good left for them. alone. <laughs> They're like, look at this kook. They're like, look what we got from uh, Arkansas in the mail. <laughs> Eventually, the authorities in Oregon would have to get involved with Damien because he threatened to kill himself and hurt his parents. And for this, he was hospitalized. Also, during this time, he briefly called his girlfriend back in Arkansas, which technically broke his probation. When he was released from the hospital in Oregon, Damien was kicked out of his parents' house, kind of like a, we're not dealing with your shit anymore, and he was sent on a bus back to Arkansas. When he got back to West Memphis, Jerry Driver was waiting at the bus station with and arrested the, Damien. With the biggest hard-on <laughs> he's ever had in his right. life. Thunderous <laughs> erection, bulging through his pants. I got you now, boy. Yeah. See you on the Greyhound, rolling into town. <laughs> My penis is ready. No blue chew needed. <laughs> no more Slayer for you, Damien. Satan was pumping that blood straight to that penis. <laughs> so, yeah, he, uh, Jerry Driver was just waiting for him and arrested Damien on the spot for breaking his probation and put him back into juvenile detention. Oh, my God, this guy. Why did his parents send him back to Arkansas? Like, when they kicked him out, why didn't they just be like, get the fuck out, you're on your own? Like, he had family back there. Oh, he did have people back there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, I wonder, how did Jerry Driver know he was coming back like, to the point where he was waiting for him? Do you think his parents tipped him off? So, it's speculated, I, I don't know how he knew that the bus that he was on, but it's speculated that either the parents of that girl called Driver and mm. told him that Damien had called, or driver happened to be at her at the house when Damien called. Mm. Uh, I feel like his parents, you, you're knowingly sending him back into just a oh, a, a shitstorm. That's my point. Yeah. Like I didn't, I, I don't know. Not, I, it didn't seem like they great. cared much to begin with. Yeah, anyway, so. that's not great. After Damien was released, Jerry Driver continued his bullshit, but he wasn't the only one. Like we said earlier, Jason Baldwin had gotten in trouble for breaking the windows out of some cars, and he was assigned Steve Jones as a probation officer. Jones would tell Jason all the time that they knew him and Damien were looking to start a satanic cult, and this lasted well after Jason's probation ended. Like, he would just run into him in town and start giving him shit, saying that he knew that they were up to some, some satanic shit. And just harassing They were going to start a cult. Yeah. Some of the police department listened to Jerry Driver and Steve Jones right off the bat. And Damien was questioned pretty quick after the boys' bodies were found. But no notes or recordings of this questioning were taken down. Oh, that's weird. Police don't do that. Hmm. <laughs> In between this and the next meeting, Steve Jones went to the trailer park to ask Damien why he hadn't seen him around. To which Damien said something to the effect of, like, I'm not on probation anymore, so why would I be around? The police, you know, the juvenile detention area. He should have been like, oh, ask your mom if I've been around. <laughs> That's what I would have said if I was him. His shit talking game's weak. <laughs> and plus, Jerry Driver's trying to give me fucking handies every time I'm in there. So I'm trying to stay away from <laughs> him. He loves me. He's obsessed with me. During this meeting, Jones started talking about some confidential details with the murders that he was only told by the medical examiner. Jones had told Damien that the medical examiner thought he had found urine in the boys' stomachs. So he's out on his own here trying to make a break in the case, kind of planting these stories to see if he can get him to talk further. That's what, yeah, the, these two are out there. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a section of the police department that is actually trying to solve this case. 
and then there's a this other section that's running with this whole satanic bullshit these bozos have dreams of glory they're going to be the heroes of this whole thing right crack the case two days after that meeting police stopped by jason baldwin's trailer and damien was there which wasn't really a surprise because they were best friends and they did everything together the police, without their parents' permission and with no lawyer present, questioned Jason and Damien at length in the front yard of Jason's trailer. Not even in a police setting, like just in the front yard of the trailer. And Damien didn't take it serious at all and started running his mouth to the police. I think this is a good opportunity to remind people that when your kids are young, tell them to never talk to the police without you in their presence, ever, period. No matter what the situation is, do not talk to the police without your parents in the room. You have one day. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of those fucking, Ian, let me be clear about this. <laughs> he went on his bark rant. This is the kind of shit that happens. Yeah, because this, this stuff seems really silly. All this satanic shit that we've been talking about. Hey, a newsflash? But, it's not illegal to have a satanic cult. I can start a fucking satanic cult anytime I want, cop. So fuck off. Well, and the other thing, too, is like these cops now, at least from what I've understood so far, they have this agenda against these satanic cults and they're just out to bust all of these kids that they have on their mm -hmm. list. Never mind the fact that there are three innocent young boys who were brutally murdered. And I don't think they give a fuck about that. They're just trying to, uh, you know, tunnel vision to get their own agenda yeah. and go after these cults, um, you know, and doing no justice and providing no services for the families of right. those three victims. Right. And, you know, that gets kind of lost. And I think in this episode is where I think the whole West Memphis three story in general, probably, tends to focus more on these three guys who get charged and lose the sight of the fact that there were three boys brutally murdered. And that's because of, you know, like the cops like this going yeah. after these kids because of their own fucking agenda. And, you know, it's just, it's a travesty. Things get blurred. And the first and, you know, amendment in this country is not just for Christianity. It's for all religions. It's for Satanism as well. So people want to start a satanic cult. They're well within their rights to do that. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I 100% agree. <laughs> and it's just, it's a shame that, you know, these cops have other agendas. You know, they, they'd rather just bust up these cults, it seems like, than to solve the case of the three boys who were, you know, murdered. And, you know, you, you talk about how you forget or, you know, the, the, the murders of the three boys gets lost in this story. We're gonna, In part three, we're going to see the state of Arkansas made it that way. Oh, they I don't by any means happen. am trying to say that we're making it that way. I'm just trying to no, say in no. general, mm -hmm. you know, because of these cops, this is what's talked about as opposed to, you know, focusing on, you know, actual suspects in the case and the fact that, you know, they were they were killed. So Damien said shit like whoever did it probably did it as a thrill kill and that the castration was probably because the penis is a symbol of power and magic stuff. And then being a really stupid fucking teenager, he said that he thought it was funny that the killer hadn't been caught and he didn't care if they ever were. Then he started talking about occult stuff and Anton LaVey and the police saw that Jason and Damien had the word evil written in permanent marker on their knuckles. So this was all the proof that they needed that there was, you know, this is even more proof to them that satanic cult stuff was going on and that these two were suspects. 
well, not everyone can have cool knuckle tattoos like Ian, whose knuckles say <laughs> Lady Gaga. <laughs> but, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> the most damning thing was Damien brought up what Steve Jones told him about the urine in the stomachs of the, of the murder boys. And police jumped on this immediately because this is something that only the killer would know. And right here is when Damien Eccles and by association with Damien, Jason Baldwin became the focus of the investigation for a large portion of the police department. Mm. Meanwhile, he was just fucking around because he's like, yeah, I don't have anything to do with this. Let me fuck with these cops a little bit because I'm a dumb kid and I don't fucking know better because I have no parental guidance. Right. After this, Damien willingly gave hair and blood samples and took a polygraph test. Oh, God, no, don't do that. No, no, no. But there are no records of Damien's answers or the readings of the test. Oh, that's oh. that's weird. Mm. I wonder how that happened. They didn't fit the agenda, perhaps. Mm. The only thing there is is a one-page report from Bill Durham, who conducted the test, saying Damien was being deceptive. In addition to this, Durham did another polygraph on a woman named Narlene Hollinsworth, who said that she had seen Damien and his girlfriend, Domini, walking around about 10.30 the night that the boys were murdered, covered in mud. But again, there's no records of this other than a one-page report where Durham says that Narlene was telling the truth. Thanks, Bill. Uh, are polygraph reports like this, are they the same kind of thing where, like as uh, radar detection guns where the officers have to go get certified on how to use them like every year or two? I don't, I don't believe know. so. That I don't makes know about sense, that. right? Because I, I remember that was, you could use that as a, a defense for speeding tickets. You could question them when the last time the offer, officer was certified on the uh, the radar gun. And if it was not current, then they're like, yep, it's tickets thrown out. invalid, thrown out. <laughs> I wonder if the polygraph's the same kind of deal. Or if they have to be certified at all. Like, are they even qualified to, to, to read the machine? But polygraphs, you can't use in court anyways, right? So... Not anymore. You're right? just throwing out evidence, I guess, or, or yeah. documentation. Okay, so here I got it. Here I got the answer. Uh, while it's not necessary, you have the option of becoming a member of the American Polygraph Association. Association mm. once you graduate from polygraph school. Mm. I'm taking so my classes to go currently. to a school to learn how to do it. Mm. I just get the feeling there's varying levels of expertise as far as how polygraph machines work. Like I, I, I suspect there's people at the FBI who maybe they're more accurate for when they're reading the results versus some guy in Arkansas who maybe this is the third time he's used it. Or it's like oh, hypnosis. Yeah. And it's just a made up thing. Dave. <laughs> We're going to talk about a guy next week that, uh, that worked on the Watergate stuff. He takes a look at, at one of these polygraph tests that there were actually records kept from and you know oh. we'll get his we'll get an act a competent individual's opinion interesting on that. interesting hmm. <laughs> i had no idea but that sounds about right in part one we talked about a woman named vicky hutchinson who was questioned by detective don bray for a 200 dollars credit card fraud after damien and by association jason came into focus bray called her back in he asked her if she seen or knew about any satanic stuff going on she said she had never seen it, but she had heard some kids that lived in her trailer park might be into it. With the approval of Don Bray, Vicky said she would, quote, play detective to see what she could find out. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like professional work. What the fuck, man? <laughs> yeah. Sounds legit. Oh, boy. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We'll be right back. It's up for debate as to how and why Vicky got Jesse Miskelly involved. But the most reported way is that Don Bray had shown her Jerry Driver's list of possible satanic kids and she saw Jesse's name on it. Jesse was the only person that she knew on that list because Jesse would sometimes babysit her kids. Vicky asked Jesse if he knew Jason and Damien. He said kind of. Like he knew them, but not enough to hang out with them or anything. Vicky went back to Don Bray and now Jerry Driver was involved and she told them what she had found out from Jesse. They told her to get Jesse to bring Damien to her trailer. Based on that, Vicky wanted to hook up with Damien. Jesse had no idea about Vicky's real intentions, so he agreed to set her up with Damien. Her plan was that once she was alone with Damien, she would seduce him by talking and not get physical. <laughs> physical. <laughs> physical then what? <laughs> i want to get physical let's get into f- well, that's a that's really a good plan because it's way better to get seduced by a woman's talk and listen to her talk on like than like getting laid or something like that so that's it's, it's a really good plan there's nothing sexier to me than a woman that just talks all the time like non-stop for hours and hours and hours i literally just jerk off to women monologues <laughs> and you just cuddle at the end of the night because she you know that's <laughs> perfect night yeah, it's great you can watch friends then i would now okay that's where, I, that's where i draw the line i will not sit through friends <laughs> Ugh. sex in the city then i've never seen i can't say <laughs> i can't speak to that although i used to have a big crush on um uh not sarah jessica parker the the chick who's in um big trouble in china little china Kim Cattrall? Kim Kim Cattrall. I had a crush on her for a while. Mm. She's in Sex and the City, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember Porky's? Did you guys ever see Porky's? I know of it. She was in Porky's, too. I just watched that the other day. It was on Amazon. (laughs) And? I love Porky's. It's so great. I was like, was it good? Did she look hot in it? (laughs) Ian, you know who Kim Cattrall is? Uh, I do not. Of course. You have to Google that one. (laughs) Are there three ladies on that show? Four. 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 Oh. Well, that doesn't work for F. Mary Kill, then. It's true. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs> so once she seduced him, her pl- according to her plan, once she seduced him by talking, Damien would then, in theory, Damien would then bring her into the local satanic cult. Jerry Driver also gave Vicky a list of books on occult topics that she could get from the local library to sound like she knew what she was talking about. He also suggested that she put them out around her trailer so that Damien felt comfortable. Like he walks <laughs> so in and ridiculous. sees and sees these books. Like, oh, okay. Like that's weird. They all have the West Memphis Library sticker on them. <laughs> I didn't even think of they that. They were just checked out yesterday. Hmm. They got like that little like gloss on them that all library books have <laughs> to protect the covers. Is she doing like like a cult small talk? Like 
Yeah, I really love though that one spell. It's super. It'd be like me trying to hit on a chick that was like really into true crime. I'm like, yeah, like that one guy jumped out of a plane with like money. That was really cool. PD Copper. Man, love him. That one guy who like ate all of his victims and, you know, he might have been gay. And did you know he died in prison? <laughs> he was killed. Wow. <laughs> I think his name was J- Damer, Jeffrey Damer. <laughs> you guys can Hey, use- you want to fuck? She's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, but let me read you my PhD uh, uh, thesis? thesis. Sorry. Very good. <laughs> words was not, the word was escaping me. My thesis. I can read it to you for three hours. My thesis. Then we can watch Sex in the City later. Mm, sounds great. Let's do that. Can we order Domino's pizza as well? You can get pineapples on it if you want. Perfect night, right, Dave? Mm-hmm. It sounds great. A woman pontificates to you, and then you get to watch Sex in the City and eat uh, Domino's pizza with pineapple. What could be better? Yeah, and cuddle, of course. <laughs> So when Jesse eventually ran into Jason and Damien, he told them about Vicky and that she was interested in Damien. So they followed Jesse to Vicky's trailer. They went inside while Jesse stayed outside. And after about 15 minutes, Damien's mother came to pick Damien and Jason up. And as far as Jesse knew, that was the extent of this meeting. That's weird. They tag team her in there? <laughs> in 15 minutes. <laughs> well, Dave and I would need half the time with Casey Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Seven minutes later, Dave and I are eating good pizza, watching fucking Californication. That's right. <laughs> so Vicky said that Damien was interested in her because of all the occult books that, he, that she had laying out. So he invited her to a local espot. An espot is an observance of the full moon in a meeting between people practicing Wicca and other forms of Wiccan paganism. According to Vicky, on May 19th, Damien picked her up in a red Ford Escort and Jesse was with him. Right off the bat, this doesn't seem very reliable because Damien's family didn't own a red Ford Escort and Damien couldn't drive and like made it a point to not drive, like refused to. And he wasn't even fucking friends with Jesse at all. Right. Which is already established. Yeah. Mm. It's fishy, Ian. Something <laughs> fishy here. She said that they went to a field where there were 10 other teenagers. She didn't recognize any of them and couldn't give the names to Detective Bray because they all went by nicknames like Lucifer, Spider, and Snakes. <laughs> Incidentally, that's our three nicknames. <laughs> it's all right. Dave's Lucifer, I'm Spider, Ian Snake. Spider. <laughs> New shirts coming soon to Necronomapod. <laughs> I vote that we introduce ourselves in the intro next week. Is that... <laughs> I'm Spider. <laughs> I'm sn- yeah, you're Lucifer. <laughs> and this is Necronomapod. Yeah! <laughs> oh, that's really funny. So soon after getting there, all these kids had their faces and arms painted black. They all took their clothes off and started, quote, touching each other. She then told Don Bray that the whole thing made her really uncomfortable. So Damien took her home and Jesse stayed. Uh huh. West Memphis starting to sound pretty fucking cool. I, I think <laughs> <laughs> that place is hopping. 
Vicky would go on to testify to this in the trials that we're going to be talking about next week. She has since come out multiple times saying that this wasn't true. And presumably she lied to get the $35,000 reward for information. The extent of her relationship with Damien was only that 15 minutes in her trailer where nothing happened, even though Bill Durham did a polygraph on Vicky and determined that she was telling the truth about everything. Oh, did he? Seems like Bill Durham just uh, says whatever he thinks the polygraph should be saying. (laughs) Yeah, right. That would appear so. Hmm. (laughs) While all of this stuff is going on, Damien still wasn't taking any of this stuff serious. And he was running his mouth, doing shit to freak out other kids and get a rise out of them. At a local softball game, Damien told a group of kids that he was the one who killed the boys and he was going to do it again before he turned himself in and that he even had other kids picked out. All right. I I mean, we're, we're, we're crossing some lines here, I think, from, you know, stupid kid to, I don't know, really stupid kid. From stupid to really stupid. I mean, you're going. He's going overboard at this point with that kind of stuff. He's not doing himself any favors. No, that's just that's going a little bit beyond though. But again, like, because like we said again last week, I'm learning this as we go through it. Mm. They literally arrested him because they think he's a a a Satan worshiper. There's been no evidence provided as to why he should be. You know, or I'm sorry, not not arrested, questioned. Mm. Nothing linking him to that. So. Besides his love of the the Dark Lord. Right. So, like, I, you know, his smugness, his arrogance, his cockiness, like, like you said, he's just being a, a teenager who yeah. is, you know, bucking the system. Yeah. Not again. You probably shouldn't when you're being questioned for the murder of three young boys. But it's, you know, there's it's just been an agenda thus far. Yeah. But like you said, not doing himself favors here. No. And again, there's st- there's three young boys who are dead. And maybe we should be taking from the police standpoint this investigation seriously, not just trying to go after kids that you want to lock up because you think they believe in Satan. Yeah. Let's go find the pieces of shit that killed these kids. In all this shit that we just talked about in this episode, this brings us right back to around May 26, 1993, where we left off on part one. And this is when Detective Gitchell had no leads. Nothing from the medical examiner, and police were getting desperate. So Don Bray brought in Vicky's eight-year-old son, Aaron, to talk to him. Aaron told Don Bray that prior to the boys' murders, they would all see a group of men getting together in the Robin Hood Hills area. He said they would sit in a circle, chant, have sex with each other, and sing songs about the devil. Come on. An eight-year-old saying this? Yeah. After hearing about this, Gary Gitchell went out to Vicky's trailer to talk more. And when he got there, Vicky had a, quote, piece of evidence. Vicky had an earring that was a skull with a snake around it. She said that Damien had dropped it when he was over for the day for that 15 minutes. And her son Aaron said that he had seen one of the guys singing those devil songs wearing the same one. Look at that. Mm-hmm. A connection. That's your linking piece of evidence. Pretty weak. Pretty weak. Thanks, Vicky. This is where Gary Gitchell became convinced it was Damien who killed the boys. And because Vicky said Jesse was in the car for the that local S-bot that she was taken to, that was who he needed to talk to to get to Damien. The police had Vicky ask Jesse to stay the night with her because there had been a prowler spotted around the trailer park. And Jesse wasn't going to say no. I mean, he watched her kids sometimes. He trusted her. He thought that she was his friend. Why? Why did they want him to stay the night? 
so they knew where he was. They, so they had him. They wanted to know. They wanted his because the next day, this is when they were going to question him, and when they wanted to make sure he was in a spot that they could just come get him. Good God, where's this guy going to go? Yeah, he's a seventeen-year-old kid. He's a NASCAR NASCAR fan who likes to wrestle. Right, he's in the backyard doing power bombs off the roof. Maybe he's going to Talladega for the weekend. Well, maybe. Big race. <laughs> Big race. I mean, I don't know. Spitballing here. The following day, Jesse's father went to Vicky's to get Jesse because the police had questions for him. His father told him just to talk to them because the police didn't tell his dad that they were going to question Jesse about his involvement in the murders. They just said that they wanted to ask him about some other boys. They didn't tell his dad, like, yeah, we're going to directly ask your son about his involvement in these murders. The other detail the police let Jesse's father know was that there was a $35,000 reward. And if Jesse knew anything about it, it would probably go to him. Yeah, I'm sure. And that's a big thing with this story, too, is like with people's motivations is the police really dangled this thirty five thousand dollars out there. That's a fortune of these people. Sure. Yeah. The first detective to speak with Jesse was Bill Durham. Durham did a polygraph test on him and asked Jesse questions like, do you know who killed the boys? Have you ever done drugs? Things like that. According to the detective's notes, because they actually kept a record of what was going on in this meeting, somewhat. Durham came out and said, quote, he's lying his ass off. Oh, boy. Going forward, I think it's really important to like circle back around and, and point out that Jesse is at the level of a third grader. And based on the tactics that we're going to be talking about here, the police knew damn well that they were dealing with a kid that had lim- limited mental abilities. So isn't this like whatever that series was that everyone went crazy about on Netflix? Making a murder. Yeah. It's exactly the same. So there was, they, they like kind of manipulated a kid who was, you know, had a lower IQ and yeah. lower functioning. And Keep him in there all day long. And like all he was concerned with was like getting out of jail to like watch WrestleMania. Yeah. Or he wanted to get home and watch wrestling. Yeah. Ugh. I, it's outrageous that the police are allowed to, to do this kind of stuff. It's outrageous. Investigators came back into the room and told Jesse that the machine they hooked him up to, that this was a really powerful machine, and that machine could read his mind. And it told them that his mind was lying. This confused the hell out of Jesse because he couldn't figure out why his mind would be telling the machine that he was lying because the only thing he lied about was the doing drugs part. How is that legal? Like, how is that legal that police can do that? Like everything that happened after that should be inadmissible and thrown out of any court. Like that's ridiculous. But just look at the childlike way they're explaining that to him, like lying to him about that. Exactly. That's why I said, you know, they knew damn well what his mental capability was that they would lie to him in such a childlike way about this. Yeah. After this, he was taken to another room where he was questioned by lead detective Gary Gitchell. I said on part one, I had a lot of sympathy for. The fact that Gary Gitchell was working with literally no information because of the incompetent medical examiner. Uh, but in my opinion, the way that I look at this story, Gary Gitchell had a choice here. He could have taken the route of being a good police officer and shut down this whole satanic angle. Or at a minimum, just shut down the involvement of Jesse Miss Kelly. But I don't think he was being... a. Um, I don't think he was being like this evil person or something. I think he just gave in to desperation that he had no leads. Well, and he had, he had officers coming to him with what they claimed were leads. Correct. You know, so he was just kind of following what they were saying 
Yeah, but he had to have known. All he had to do is take Jesse out to the crime scene and would have known that he w- he didn't do it. He wasn't there. Yeah. I mean, right off the bat here, when we start talking about this questioning, he would have had to know this kid wasn't involved. Mm. Okay. Look, the reality is there are going to be crimes that aren't going to be solvable and people are going to get away with things. And I think sometimes cops don't. Well, that's not the attitude police should have, though. I don't think police should have that attitude. Like, well, chalk this one up to unsolvable. I I just mean they're hesitant to by any means available to them to find someone to pin this on sometimes. when I mean, I think in a lot of situations, it's more important to some officers to, to, clo- to right. close a case that's just unacceptable than it is to solve the case right it's unacceptable I, and i don't think that's necessarily all police and i don't think that's the majority no, of I'm them not, i'm not saying all police at all but, but i think that is you know some people just want to 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 say that you know they've closed the case as opposed to actually solving it I mean, there are a lot of people in prison in this country for crimes they didn't commit for extreme lack of evidence where police no, just I don't wanted disagree. to catch somebody. And it's outrageous. And then, and, and, you know, in this case, we're just talking about an extremely serious crime where there's yeah. three victims and their families and whatnot. Look, you're not going to catch everyone. It's not that hard to kill someone and get away with it. There's not always going to be a culprit that you can find. That's well, just, especially in 1993. That's just reality. Yeah, I don't think... I don't know. I don't think there's a lot of pressure on police for investigations, but nobody's going to fault you for not finding the killer when you're exhausting all leads and doing your due diligence and doing the job. Yeah. You know, no one's going to say, well, you you messed up with this and this. No, no. If you did your job and you followed up on everything, yeah. you know, you did what you can. It, it, like you said, it's not going to always Sometimes be that's all you can do. When you start getting into shit like this, now you're opening yourself up to criticism. You're, you're, you're creating the narrative to fit this individual that's it's just when there's nothing there, I think is what we're going to see here. Yeah, And that's what I meant. I, I meant that like the outside pressure of media and the parents and the fact of how brutal this crime was. In, in my opinion, it seems like he just gave in to all these ridiculous leads because he didn't have anything else. Yeah. And so he all that pressure. Yeah. No, I get it. It's just unacceptable, though. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm not saying it's acceptable at all. It's ridiculous. But whiskey, beer, tequila, more beer, more vodka, more whiskey and more beer <laughs> and more beer. <laughs> okay. Jesse had heard around town that Damien was probably the one who did it. So when Gitchell asked who did it, he said probably Damien. Then they gave him some more info and told him the boys were tied up. Then asked him what they were tied up with. Jesse said rope, and Gitchell corrected him, said no, it was shoelaces. Then walked him back through the whole questioning of the boys being tied up. They coached him on what time everything probably went down and continued to mold a timeline for him. Gitchell at one point drew a circle with three X's in the middle and then some X's on the outside and told Jesse that the three X's in the circle are you, Damien, and Jason. The X's on the outside is law enforcement. Right now you're on the side of Damien and Jason, but if you want to do the right thing and you want to go home, you need to be on the side of law enforcement. This is like meet the parents with a circle of trust. <laughs> Greg, Greg RN, you're outside the circle of trust. So Jesse started saying random stuff. 
about how they had meetings every week out in Robin Hood Hills and would sacrifice dogs, like all kind of wild shit, he started saying. Gitchell kept it up and getting Jesse to say all this nonsensical stuff and then showed him crime scene and autopsy photos. We talked about it in part one that those pictures are they're brutal and very graphic. Oh, they're really bad. So apparently that new documentary shows all of it, right? Did we talk about that last week or no? Yeah, I saw we people had, commenting this week that they watched it and they're like, yeah, they were disgusted. Turn it off. Yeah, yeah, I told you it's, it's awful. It's like in the first two minutes of the documentary. It opens with it. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. no good. It, then Gitchell did something that the documentaries don't talk about. And when I read this or learned about this detail, I'm like, this is so manipulative and just really gross to do to somebody, anybody, but to a 17-year-old that is functioning at the level of a third grader, it's it's insane. They had edited the recording of Vicky's son Aaron's interview down to one sentence, quote, nobody knows what happened to me. And Gitchell played this from a hidden speaker, like a ghost was saying this. And between that and seeing the crime scene photos right before, it scared the shit out of Jesse. I, I, that's just beyond the pale. It, it's absolutely outrageous. I don't even know what to say about that. Yeah, that's that's hard to justify. I mean, that example alone is enough to you know for your kids to tell your kids never, ever, ever talk to cops by themselves. Because the leeway they're granted in being able to do stuff like that is right. just outrageous. Like, how does that not render the whole conversation inadmissible? After they played this for Jesse, that's when police started to do an audio recording of the interview. And he had been there for about 10 hours of questioning and coaching. And this was when the police decided to get audio of Jesse's story. Oh, well, how fucking convenient. This will be, what, a two-hour episode? I don't know. know. But being there for 10 fucking hours, just hammered on this shit. And then shown those pictures, followed up by something that you think is a fucking ghost talking mm-hmm it's it's outrageous it absolutely is and, the, and just, know, it, just the fact he doesn't know that all you have to say is lawyer and it's over that's it right lawyer well we're going to talk about in part three of jesse miss kelly didn't even know what a lawyer was well yeah there you go well again third grade education that makes sense like you know Ugh, poor, poor guy i cannot stand this stuff it's just awful Dave's getting hot over here. He's getting real upset. I'm really agitated because this stuff is just He's fucking outrageous. Up. I feel like false confessions are like the hardest thing in true crime for people to understand, you know, because I think 100% of people would be like, I would never confess to something I didn't do, you know? Yeah. But it, I, it's proven. It does happen. I was looking at the Innocence Projects website and they've, I think they've, exonerated 350 people from DNA tests that Mm -hmm. were sentenced to murders. And it was like 80 or 85 of them had uh, admitted to it. It happens a lot. There's a whole documentary on Netflix on on, uh, all kinds of cases like that. And it's hard to believe. And you think that if you're in that situation, you would know better and you wouldn't. But I, I don't know. It happens, though. If there was something like this available, I would do it to to sit down for like a mock thing and be grilled like that for 10 hours, 12 hours and see. Right. How to push you, you to feel. your limit. Yeah, absolutely. I would not I would sign be, up for that, but I would, I would, I would support you, Ian. I would support you <laughs> if you did. I would be the guy behind the mirror watching you <laughs> drinking a beer while you get questioned. Like, Oh God damn. 
Damn, <laughs> they're really grilling him. <laughs> Shit. And that that Brendan, what's his name? Brendan Dassey. Yeah. It's a prime example. The same thing. Which what, what is that? That making a murderer. Oh. That's the that was the kid. The we kid. Were talking yeah. About. The, and he was slow too. The same thing. Ugh. makes my fucking blood boil. It's a and a big thing with that is always that whole. Just tell us what you want. And you can go home. That's right. He's like, oh, all right. I want to go home and watch wrestling. So yeah, I did it. It's all I I'll ever want to do. I'm thinking that right now. Like, I just want to go home and watch wrestling. <laughs> and I'm sitting here with you guys. <laughs> At least I could drink beer, but. You know. Okay, Mike, go upstairs. There's a, there's a Hot Pocket and some SpaghettiOs up on the counter for you. Wait, Be wait. a good boy. What kind of Hot Pocket, though? I don't know. I hate Hot Pockets. They're disgusting. I know. You've said that before. And they are, like, of all, like, the shitty foods I eat, they're my least favorite. They're awful. They're but terrible. Every, every now and then, a pepperoni pizza Hot Ugh. Pocket is so fucking good. Awful. The gross ones, uh, ham and cheese, disgusting. Uh, gross. <laughs> I was just about to say, I like the ham and cheese. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Dude, the turkey broccoli is really good. Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah, I probably like that, too. It's really... Those, I mean, I say they're really good. good. They're not great. They're not good. They're not. Um, like, if you're going to eat a Hot Pocket, just buy pizza rolls. Like, yeah. just get pizza rolls. They're delicious. Like, if yeah. you're in a hurry, just make some ramen or something. It's like three minutes. Oh, I like, had ramen for lunch today. Chicken ramen with an <laughs> egg in it. Oh, <laughs> I put the egg in it now, too. Yeah. Fucking some green onions and hot sauce. That's a little too much for me. That's <laughs> my culinary skills are not. Well, first of all, I would do hot sauce. Sure. But green onion. Nah, not so I like much. the green onions. Um, yeah. You can really fancy up some ramen, mm. you know, for 49 cents. You can have quite a meal. <laughs> <laughs> quite a delicious meal. Any hoodles. So with all that coaching, Jesse still had major contradictions in his confession. First, Jesse said that he met up with Damien and Jason at 9 a.m. that morning, and they had already knew who they were going to kill because this had been discussed at the cult meeting the previous Wednesday. Also, according to Jesse, the murders were all done by noon that day, but it was well established that all three boys were in school that day and had been seen by multiple people riding their bikes in the evening. Like, Mark Byers said he last saw his son Christopher cleaning the yard at 5.30 p.m. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, like, this makes no sense. Yeah. We talked about that in part one, available in the archives. <laughs> Why are you listening to part two if you haven't listened to part one? Stop this episode and go back and listen. That actually happens quite frequently, I think. I hope not. People want to go right to part two. Spoiler alert. If it says part two, part three, part four, that's not the beginning. <laughs> go listen to the first one. So the police told him, no, the boys were in school. And Jesse came back with, no, they skipped school. He was told, no, they, they went to school. So Jesse changed the time and said that the murders occurred around 5 p.m. They're like, this was mm, still getting closer, Jesse. Sure about that? Warmer, warmer. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is still wrong because like we just said, they, the boys were accounted for. And with questioning and hinting at it being dark out, Jesse finally gave the time of 7 or 8 p.m., which fit the timeline. And Gitchell's like, yep, that'll work. Uh, let's keep that recording, boys. Let's keep that one. Oh, my God. It's like us trying to do this podcast. We say something yeah. fucked up. We edit it out. No, that doesn't work. Let's let's make this one perfect when we release it. That's what the cops are fucking doing with this recording of this show. They're going, bloop, 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 bloop. Cut that out. He fucked up again. You can't say that on a podcast. <laughs> bloop, bloop. Jesse also said that Damien choked one of the boys to death with a stick. But none of the boys had injuries that would line up with that happening. 
Even though Jesse had been told multiple times that the boys were tied with shoelaces, he kept getting that wrong and kept saying brown rope. He also only ever mentioned that the boys' hands were tied, but like we said in part one, they were tied with this weird modified hog tie that was right wrist to right ankle, left wrist to left ankle. Jesse then went on to say that while Damien and Jason were beating two of the boys, Michael Moore ran away. So Jesse chased him down, brought him back, and then left before the boys were killed. And this is what really fucks him here, because now he went from seeing a murder to assisting in one. Yeah. I I was watching the West of Memphis documentary, the newest one, and from the people from the Innocence Project were talking about this, and it's like he had to put himself in here at some point in this story. The police weren't going to accept that he just stood there and watched. Yeah, like he wasn't 100 yards away in the forest, you know, with binoculars. Yeah. But he's not going to, he didn't kill anybody, so he's not going to admit to killing. So the next logical thing would be to say, well, I did, this Mm -hmm. is what I did. I did something less. That's right. I didn't really get involved, but yeah, the kid ran away, so I grabbed him, but Mm -hmm. I didn't really do anything. Right. I just brought him back. So with this confession, Jesse was charged with one count of first degree murder. First degree murder for bringing Michael Moore back to the situation and two counts of second degree murder for Stevie Branch and Christopher Byers. And it said that he said when they told him that he was going to go home, if they if they if he just said what they wanted him to say, that he could go home. He sat there fully believing it Yeah, and was like right. waiting to go home. And then all of a sudden, nope, you're not going to see the outside world from that day for another 19 years. Wow, spoiler alert. God damn. Oh, fuck, sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm not. I didn't know that, but still. It's okay. Because now I want to know what happens in 19 years. I can't wait to tune in next week. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah! <laughs> next week, woo. He's fired up, Ian. <laughs> this guy's ready to go. That night at 9.06 p.m., police got an arrest warrant for Damien and Jason based on Jesse's confession and went to arrest them on first-degree murder charges that same night at Damien's trailer while the two of them were hanging out watching Leprechaun. They're like, we don't even know this fucking guy. What are you talking about? (laughs) Oh, man, it's so bad. Plus, Leprechaun, that's fun. Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. Early Jennifer Aniston, right? Real early, yeah. That was like one of her first movies, right? It's got to be. That was way back. And yeah, Dave, you brought up tunnel vision. It, this is complete tunnel vision on the part of the police, just listening to Jerry Driver. Early on in the investigation, police briefly regarded two West Memphis teenagers as possible suspects, Chris Morgan and Brian Holland. Both had drug offense histories and had abruptly left for Oceanside, California, four days after the bodies of the boys were discovered. Morgan was presumed to be at least casually familiar with all three boys having previously driven an ice cream truck around their neighborhood. So these two got arrested in Oceanside on May 17, 1993. Morgan and Holland both took polygraph tests administered by the California police. Examiners reported that both of their charts indicated deception when they denied involvement in the murders. During questioning, Morgan claimed a long history of drug and alcohol use, along with blackouts and memory loss, and he claimed that he, quote, might have killed the boys, but quickly recanted on this part of the statement. Oh, well, shit. Have Bill Durham do their polygraph. Then they'll be like, oh, yeah, they're telling the truth. Them are good boys. (laughs) Those are good boys. They don't know nothing about all any of this. 
California police sent blood and urine samples from Morgan and Holland to the West Memphis Police Department, but the West Memphis police never tested it or investigated Morgan or Holland as suspects following their arrest in California, presumably because by this time the wheels were already in motion to focus on Damien and Jason. Mm-mm-mm. Again, there's three young boys murdered, but hey, let's focus on our agenda. That's right. We already know who did it. On June 7th, 1993, Jesse, Damien, and Jason were all appointed their public defenders. And that is where we will pick up on part three. In part three, we will get into the trials, the documentaries, Mark Byers, the aftermath of the trials, and some additional suspects. So join us next week for a seven and a half hour episode. Yeah, Dave doesn't believe I can get it done in one, I, one, I, one more I, part. I believe this is going to be a four-parter. There's no way we're doing this in three parts. Not Dave possible. and I are off here. are going to take side bets on what day of the week Ian messages us and goes, hey, so this is going to be four parts. <laughs> there is zero chances of three-parter. Just my opinion. I could be wrong. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> he makes no premises. <laughs> So I'm guessing next week we'll probably start to hear from tons of corroborating eyewitnesses and and lots of physical evidence taken from the scene and all kinds of stuff like that, right? Linking everyone to the crime. Yeah, that's right, Dave. Okay, I was I was yep. checking. We'll be back next Wait. week with all kinds of facts. <laughs> that that uh, that occult expert from the first documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy. <laughs> Something else. <laughs> that's uh, like calling me a true crime expert. Uh, yeah, because I do pretty good. Analogy, I do this show yeah. drunk and I'm like, <laughs> well, obviously, because of the, you know, semantics involved with this case and the way that the uh, proceedings of the murders happened, <laughs> that it was obviously this guy who did it because, uh, you know, that's what Ian told me. Wait till you hear this guy. Wait till you hear about this guy. I can't wait. If that's not a reason to tune in next week, folks, I don't know what else would be. He's another one that to this day still is 100% behind his bullshit that he said. Yep. It's sad. It's a sad story all all around. Yeah. Whiskey. Beer. Tequila. More beer. More vodka. More whiskey. And more beer. After party. I just wanted to wrap up with filling up another beer. So, I mean, come on. (laughs) I do want it known that we've filled up a lot more than every time we played that clip. We just didn't want to annoy people. Sure. But we will. It's only funny a couple times. We will play that clip every single week at least because <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin is the greatest professional wrestler of all time. I won't have it any other way. I think we agree on that. Yeah. Well, I don't know what Ian thinks. Ian, what, is, what do you think? Greatest of all time. Sorry, for folks. What? I'm turning it back to wrestling. <laughs> greatest of all time for wrestling? Yes. Greatest professional wrestler of all time in your opinion. There's no right or wrong. It's your opinion. I think I really I guess, tripped I guess him up I'm here. Say Shawn, I guess I'm going to say Shawn Michaels. Okay. A lot of people if might was, say if Sean. I was talking in ring wrestling, though, like just straight up in ring, I would say Mr. Perfect. Wow. Most people say Shawn Michaels is the greatest in ring, but don't call him the greatest of all time. Um, you know, maybe because he didn't draw as much as like the Hulk Hogan's, the Stone Cold's, the Rocks, the John Cena's. But I, I, I don't disagree. Sean, Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect is phenomenal in the ring. Yeah. Am I, I mean, I thought I'm. I was a huge mark for Shawn Michaels as a kid. Still am. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, to me, he had the whole package. But I think, damn, what's the one wrestling, the one match with um the whole package Mr. outlined in which tights though? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those WrestleMania fourteen well, ones. Tune into a bonus episode. Ian, I'll break that down, Dave. That one match with Mister Perfect and Bret Hart is 
Which one? Which one? SummerSlam um, 1991 or King yeah, of the Ring the sum- 1993? No, the SummerSlam one. So the Intercontinental title. Yeah. That was a great match. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great match. It's one of my favorites of all time. You know what's so funny? Someone posted on the um on the Facebook, the Necro Palace Facebook group, and it was a picture of um Rick Rude when he wrestled um Jake the Snake and he was wearing those tights that had Jake's wife's yeah. uh, face yeah. on there. Like how fucking much more heel can you get wearing your opponent's wife's face on your crotch? It's fucking awesome. <laughs> and I commented on their post. I'm like, you know, we watched that match together not that long ago. Like three of us were hanging out. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> Nothing is more 80s professional wrestling than ravishing Rick Rude versus Jake the Snake Roberts. There you go. <laughs> Two men that also exemplify that you should never skip leg day because they, well, Rick Rude mostly was jacked up and had these scrawny ass legs. Right. Jake was never a body guy, but Stone Cold Steve Austin tells a story that uh, Rick Rude used to always say to him, it's an upper body business, kid. That's why he never worked out his legs. So it's all about your upper body. Anyways, God damn, that was a tangent that people did not need to hear nor want to hear. No, probably not. <laughs> Ian, you got anything else on uh, part two of West Memphis 3? No, that's it. We'll see what happens for next week. If there's going to be a three or four. I like how he's uh-huh. giving up. He's like, he's like, nah, that's it. He fucking knows right now. This is four yeah. parts. He's so full of shit. Well, and David, you know why he's doing it? Because now Casey Anthony gets pushed another week. Well, that's true. She might never get, get, we might never get to that show. It's an extra week I have to try to get her in studio though. That's also true. Casey, I, I got a kegerator. Are you sure you don't want to come down here? We could party. <laughs> Put on the Ohio State game. Yeah, that's right. Or a basketball game or something. Whatever oh, they're she playing wants. something. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever she wants. It's a great it's studio her. down here with the kegerator case. It's up to her. You can be uh kegerator Casey. We can do keg stands. Hey, come party with Dave and I. Yeah. We're swell guys. Why, why wouldn't you? We'll plug your private investigator business. Yeah. Apparently she's got that going. We'll fly you up from West Palm. Come on. All right, Dave, you got anything else for this episode? I <laughs> uh, no. Show the cops some more? Piss off our uh, law enforcement no, listeners. No. Stating the obvious facts here I'm going to go out on a limb And I am 100% guaranteeing This is going to be a four part um, series (laughs) (laughs) So so that's what he's sticking with For his final answer (laughs) All right, we got a good uh, goddamn long list of Patreon shout outs Motherfucker Alright Shout outs to new patrons Kaylee Johnson Marissa Golden Allison Thompson Chelsea Morse Sherry Art Alex Banana Tatiana Miller, Brittany Longmire, Bobby Marie, Jay Bailey, 182, Lauren Voss, Kate Lockhart, uh, Lauren McKeeman, Olivia, Bridget Curtin, Casey Ward, Navy Yeti, 154, Shane Beck, Memento Mori, Dana, Kristen Marie, Emily Myers, Angeline, Matthew Johnson, Julia Rivers, Amanda Caracato, Cray C, Kristen Erbies, Megan Lindell, Abby Further, The Narf Walls, Tim Chesson, Caitlin Fouch, Shakuski, Eric, Rebecca, Tracy Hennison, Amanda Greenfield, Leslie Gosselin, Chelsea Worth, Anthony Miller, Brandon Hightower, San Phillips, Shanice Moreland. Also, I have some uh, makeups on some names here. Uh, Fatina 
Louvier. I guess I butchered that one last week. Hopefully I didn't butcher it this week. <laughs> but anyways, uh, you know, apologies and thank you very much. Uh, also, LJ from Calgary. Uh, a little fun fact about LJ. She messaged us and said that I was her celebrity crush, which tickled me a little bit. The fact that people, first of all, think we're celebrities because clearly we're not. Well, <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, second, I was flattered that I was her crush. Uh, third of all, I had to immediately break up with her because she was a Calgary Flames fan. And as we all know, we're an Edmonton Oilers podcast. Oh, are we? So, you know, okay. I couldn't hear her over our five Stanley Cups compared to their one. <laughs> Pitiful. <laughs> Get on our level, LJ from Calgary. Please. <laughs> And then also Nicole Margaret. Thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate all of your patronage. I hope I didn't run LJ off with that uh, with that one. She's going to hate us now, but you know, whatever. It's Calgary money, so it's worth less. Um, <laughs> a lot less. Yeah. If those of you those of you that are interested in signing up, uh, you know, the one dollar tier gets you a shout out. The five dollar tier gets you three bonus shows a month plus access to the Discord. The ten dollar tier, as of this month, gets you three bonus shows a month. You get to vote on what one of those bonus shows is uh, that we will cover, and you get access to Bible Babble with your pal Dave, which will be debuting in January of 2021 i hope it's good it's not gonna be but whatever <laughs> it might not be it might be the drizzling shits we'll Did see you mentioned the early release episodes though? oh also at the ten dollar tier you get the early release of our sunday episodes we usually we try to get them out by friday sometimes they're saturday but you at least get them 24 hours ahead of time sometimes two three days ahead of absolutely. time absolutely you know stickers sticker too are the stickers only at the ten dollar tier is that what it is i can't remember what we do with the stickers yes, sir ten dollar tier you get a sticker as well they're really cool, too. We also have stickers available for purchase at NecronomaPod.com, and our uh, merch is uh, T-shirts and clothing and all that at Amazon.com slash NecronomaPod. Can I help you out with the, one of those last patrons that you butchered their names? I was looking at the phonetic spelling. I believe it's Fatina Louvier. Fatina Louvier. I have no idea what I said. I just was reading I the just, I just wanted to give... give, give, uh, give what did I say? Did I say Fatina? I, probably. I just wanted. To, I just wanted to give her the respect she deserves. Fatina Louvier. Well, trying to help shout you out. out to Fatina I don't want, Louvier. Yeah, I just. I didn't want you to get, you know, static for mispronouncing it again. Hey, now, now that they have gotten about fifteen <laughs> shoutouts, so even more congrats to them. See, folks, if you send us your name all fucked up, you, we might read it nineteen times. <laughs> We, Ian, we, Ian, what do you got? We might. <laughs> for iTunes, I have one for this name is not used. Uh, I, I think it just was. <laughs> Serrated Grin, Automakers, Bianca GP, Oh Me So Funny. <laughs> oh Me So Funny. Oh, oh So Funny. Oh Me So Funny. You laugh you long time. <laughs> Well, I think I think Ian died. <laughs> wow, baby, me so horny, me so horny. Goddamn, pal! <laughs> you killed Ian. You broke him. Uh, <clears throat> oh, me so funny. Zero four <laughs> one zero. 
He's still going. And Sasha May. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. I read that Sasha May review. That's quite delightful. I've, I don't think I've ever yeah. read such a great review the whole time we've we been get doing a, the show. We get a good review. It was a good one. That was fantastic. All right. Well, thank you, Sasha May. Uh, also, I want to give a quick plug. We mentioned him earlier on the show for giving the old Psycho Sid shout out. But uh, our friend Boar can be followed on Twitter at Bora's War. If you're a wrestling fan, give him a follow. Uh, check him out. He's got some good merch. He's fantastic wrestler. Dave and I saw him at the, uh, yeah. what was it? The, uh, fuck. Oh, I forget the name of the uh, the company we saw him at. I'll have to that was one Ed out. did, right? Ed yeah, Ed, our buddy Ed from Pod Van Dam was commentating. The guy's thighs are as big as uh, me. I, I don't know what me. they're as big as, but me. they're pretty fucking big. He's, he's a big dude. <laughs> Fantastic uh, and fun to watch. Yeah. It was a cool dude. Yeah, really cool. He was cool. a big fan of the show. We chatted with him a little bit about uh, the John Bonet series. He had his thoughts. I did not uh, agree with him, but I was not going to challenge him at that point in time. <laughs> um, but anyways, he's on uh, Twitter at Bora's War. So shout out to Bora. Appreciate you listening. And uh, wow. hey, for the Psycho Sid reference, because I got to talk some wrestling tonight. There you go. Dave, you got anything for us? Uh, no. Strangely enough, the bad reviews since I started Bad Review Corner have all dried up. I think people are trying to mm. not get on the Bad Review Corner, but there's been no bad reviews. Interesting. I was going to say I have Luther Campbell just stuck in my head now after that. Uh, oh, me so horny. Oh, oh, so horny. <laughs> I want to be hearing that in the back of my head all night now. <laughs> You got Ian going now. He's not going to stop all night. <laughs> Two live crew, man. They were awesome. <laughs> all right. We are on. <laughs> I'll wait till Ian's done. Give him like a schoolgirl over there. <laughs> we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Necronomapod. Make sure to check out the YouTube page. Uh, for every uh, episode we release, we usually get a celebrity endorsement beforehand. So make sure you check out our YouTube and, uh, you know, give us a like or a follow or however that works on YouTube. Um, on the other socials at Necronomapod, we got merch available at Amazon.com slash Necronomapod and stickers and koozies available at Necronomapod.com. I would like to say we're going to close the story up next week, but Dave and I are betting a lot of money that we're not. Maybe we'll be four weeks on uh, West Memphis 3. Zero chance of that. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Maybe we close it all up. Anyways, that's it. Good show, fellas. Bye. You guys ready for a cool down beer? <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> oh, me so horny. Oh, oh so horny. <laughs>